Happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I want you to open your Bibles with me. The book of John. Chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. John 8, 31 and 32. When you're there, say amen. Actually, I'm going to come down here. John 8, 31, 32. Are you there? This is what it says. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Tonight I want to talk to you on the subject, reality and truth. What I want to propose to you tonight is that there's a distinction between reality and truth. There are things that are real, and there are things that are true. There is an overlap because all things that are true are real. But not all things that are real are true. Some things are real, but not true. And some things are not real or true. They're imaginary. There are things that are real and true. There are things that are real, but not true. And there are things that are neither real nor true. And what Jesus is calling us to live in is the truth. He says the truth will set you free, not the reality. And we all believe that we live in the real world, and we have real problems, and we have real issues, and we have real struggles, and we have real trials. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, but pastor, it's good that you tell me all this Jesus stuff, but I live in the real world. Yeah, it's great that you talk about the Holy Spirit and the power of God and the Word of God and all that, but I live in the real world. But the question I have for you is, do you live in the true world? Because not everything real is true. doesn't mean it's not real. It just means it's real but not true. The difference between reality and truth is that the things that are real but not true are refuted by a higher reality. They're real at one level, But there's a higher level of reality that questions their validity, that nullifies their validity, really. You say, well, I'm sick. That may be real, but it's not true. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says, by his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. That's the truth. The truth is that by his wounds you have been healed. That is both true and real. Your sickness may be real, but it's not true. No, but my symptoms are real. Yes, they're absolutely real. I'm not refuting it. I'm not preaching to you some power of positive thinking. I'm not giving you any Christian science doctrine that says just, just say it. See, Christian science says it's not real. Christian science says it's all in your head, it's all in your mind. Just confess that it's not real and it'll go away. That's, no. It is real. When I'm sick, I'm sick. My head hurts. You see, you say, my head hurts. Somebody says, no, it doesn't. You go insane trying to believe that it's not real when it's real. I got the x-ray to show you it's real. 
I've got hard, cold facts to show you that it's real. And I'm not saying it's not real. It's very real. When our bodies are broken down, it's very real that our bodies break down. But what I'm saying to you is that there is a higher level of reality that the Word of God declares, and that reality is that by His wounds you have been healed. The problem, Whenever we encounter sickness, we have a choice whether we're going to believe the reality or the truth. Believing the truth takes work, but Jesus said it's the truth that sets you free. The truth sets you free, not the reality, not the hard, cold facts. You never get set free by an x-ray the doctor shows you. You never get set free by a prognosis he gives you. Matter of fact, that'll put you in bondage to fear. And you don't escape it by denying the reality. Well, I'm just not going to go to the doctor. You're just denying the reality. No, you've got to deal with the reality of it. It'd be foolish not to. Well, I'm not taking the pill. I'm just believing the Lord. No, take the pill. When I'm sick, I'm going to pray all the way to the doctor. Pray through the appointment and after. But I'm not believing in the doctor. I'm not putting my trust in the doctor. I put my trust in the fact that he said by his wounds I am healed. That's the truth. And the truth sets me free if I know it. There's the key. You will know the truth, he said, and the truth will set you free. It doesn't set you free if you don't know it. And when the scripture talks about knowing something, it's not talking about knowing it intellectually. It's not talking about grasping it cognitively. It's talking about knowing it intimately. It's talking about having communion with it. Are you intimate with that truth? Now, here's the problem. Well, before I get to the problem, we've got to take it to another level. So you say, I'm sick. That's the, real, the reality, but not the truth. The truth is by his wounds, you have been healed. You say, well, I'm still struggling with sin. That may be the reality, but it's not the truth. No, but I'm serious. I'm really struggling with sin, Pastor. Yeah, I know you're struggling with sin. That's the reality, but it's not the truth. No, but i got evidence. Yes, and that evidence is very real. I'm not preaching Gnosticism. Gnosticism would say, well, that's not even true. You can't sin. It's impossible for you to sin because there's this distinction between your flesh and your spirit. Your flesh is evil. And so it's going to just do it, you know, it may, might fornicate a little bit, you know. That's just your flesh. But your spirit remains holy. That's Gnosticism. Gnosticism would say it's impossible for you to sin. I'm not saying that. It's very possible for you to sin in reality but not in truth. What's the truth? The truth is Ephesians 1.7. Through his blood, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The truth is that your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future, they're gone. They're under the blood. They're gone. They're under the blood. They're washed away. They're buried in the sea of forgetfulness. God does not remember them. And even your future sins, God doesn't remember them anymore. You know that God, being all-knowing, has to forget the future? Was that too deep for you? Because God is all-knowing, when he washes away your sins and forgets them, he has to forget the future sins too. Because he knows the future intimately, he has to forget even the sins that you haven't committed yet. Meaning before you actually do them, he's already forgotten them. 
It means that when God forgives you, he has to forgive you holistically, not episodically. You're trying to go get forgiven for each episode. He forgave the whole series. Even episodes that haven't even been played yet. He knows your past, present, and future. So if he's going to forget your sins, he's got to forget the future. We can't even register that. We can't even... Well, how are you going to deal with that? The reality is that your sins have been washed away. Revelation 1.6, to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's the truth. But the reality is I'm still struggling. You say, I'm in bondage. That may be the reality, but it's not the truth. It's not the truth. John 8.3 says, if you know the truth, it'll set you free. And he says, Further down there, it says, whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. That's the truth. The truth is that you are free indeed. And if you know Jesus, you know the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. The truth is that you have been set free. The truth is that you have been set free. Matter of fact, Colossians 2.15 says that on the cross, Jesus disarmed powers and principalities. You say, well, I'm battling the devil. That may be real, but it's not true. On the cross, he disarmed powers and principalities, made a public spectacle of them, and triumphed over them by the cross. He said, but I, I, I really am battling the devil. I can describe him to you. Some believers are so intimate with the devil, they can draw a picture of him. They can tell you how tall he was. We get all kinds of revelations of Satan. People getting words from Satan. Last night the devil told me he was going to. That's a prophetic word from Satan. When Satan's speaking to you saying, I'm going to do this to you and I'm going to do that, that's a prophetic word from Satan. Stop listening to those satanic prophecies. You should be at least as intimate with the Lord as you are with the devil. (laughs) Draw a picture of Jesus. When was the last time he walked in your room? What did he look like? (laughs) <laughs> no, pastor, he had six horns and he had a long tail and he was six foot three and he was kind of brown. <laughs> that may be your reality, but it's not the truth. It's not the truth that you're still fighting the devil. The truth that he, is that he's a defeated foe. The reality is that you're still wrestling with him, but the truth is that he's a defeated foe. Are you hearing me tonight? You say, I feel so empty. I feel so spiritually dry. That may be the reality, but it's not the truth. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has he come into your heart? I love this. Paul said that he who joins himself to Christ becomes one spirit with him. You want to talk about intimacy with God? You can't get no more intimate than one spirit. The truth is that you and Jesus, his spirit and your spirit, one spirit. When you joined yourself to Christ, you became one spirit with him. That's the truth. But I feel so far from the Lord. That may be the reality, but that's not the truth. That's not the truth. The truth is that you are one spirit with Jesus. And then Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we would be strengthened with might in our inner being by his spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Through faith, Christ, the spirit of Christ, who is one spirit with us, 
flows forth, bursts forth from our spirit into our hearts. The spirit is the core, the centermost part of the human person. The heart is the seat of the emotions. It's the soul. He wants to burst forth from your spirit and fill your soul. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then Paul says that your very body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. we got to talk about that for a second. Your physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, the only application I've heard preached on that is that that means you should work out and eat better and don't get tattoos and don't smoke and don't drink and don't chew and don't go with girls who do because your body's a temple. Is that all? Chew on that for a second. Your physical flesh and bones, blood and muscles and sinews is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just to stop and think about it. Your body, you've got to get that as revelation. I'm praying that God gives that to you. I, have, I got that as revelation on the plane coming home. I'm sitting on the plane and I'm worshiping and I'm praying and I'm just fellowshipping with God and having communion with God. And all of a sudden it hit me. I looked at my hands. This body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When that goes beyond being a theory for you, it's going to change your life. I mean, the Holy Spirit indwells my physical body. He is in this body. He made this body his temple. He dwells here. He lives there. And I said, that means God is on this plane right now. I mean, come on. No, I'm not talking. It, it hasn't hit you in the spirit yet. That's why I'm still talking like this, because you're going, you think you agree with it, but you don't. Because you're going to walk out of here thinking, I feel so dry. How can you be dry when your physical flesh and bones are the temple of the Holy Spirit? But I feel so far from God. You're His temple. How can a temple be separated from the one who indwells it? It's one thing for a believer to live far from the temple in the Old Testament. But it's like the Holy of Holies saying, I feel so separated from the presence of God. It's like the Ark of the Covenant saying, God, when are you going to come? You can't live far from the temple when you are the temple. Wake up! You hearing me? But I feel so spiritually dry. It's a reality, but it's not the truth. It means it's a lie. Actually, if you really want to get down to it, that idea that you live far from God is not even the reality. You may feel it, but it's not even real. There are certain things that you feel, the feeling is real, 
but it's not based on any factual evidence. When I say I'm sick, that's real at the factual level. I can prove it. I've got all the symptoms. But, you know, people who walk in and say, nobody at this church loves me. Everybody hates me here at this church. That's not even real. That's neither real nor true. That's called imaginary. That's called deception. That's called illusion. I mean, there's not, not even any factual evidence to support that junk. Or when people say, but I'm good for nothing. I'm insignificant. That's not even real. There's no evidence to support that. Well, I can give you some evidence. Yeah, it's called deception. You're deceived. Wake up. Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Is that past or present or future tense? It's past. He has blessed us. Meaning it's already done. He did it. It's done. It's over. doesn't say he is doing it. doesn't say he will do it. It says he's done it. Now how can you be spiritually dry when you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places? Say, I wish I, I, I wish I had this blessing. He's got that blessing, but I don't. How, when you've been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, can you look at somebody and say, they got something you don't? The problem is, we're so connected to reality that we live outside of the truth. We're so connected to reality that we live outside of the truth. And God knows that the truth is not easy for us to believe. Because we're so used to believing what we see in the material realm, in the sight realm. You see, the truth is most often invisible. And that's why in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul is talking to the deacons, he says, they must hold, and by the way, the word deacon, it literally means table waiter or servant. So anyone who serves the Lord falls into that category. If you serve the Lord in any way, you're a deacon. He says they must hold to the deep truths of the faith without wavering. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you must hold to the deep truths of the faith without wavering. You know what a deep truth is? You know why it's called a deep truth? Because it's invisible. Look at your neighbor and say, that's deep. It's deep because it's invisible. You can't see it. If you could see it, you might believe it. God says, you're more than a conqueror through him who loved you. That's not what it looks like to me. Yeah, it's a deep truth. We're going to take it deeper on Sunday and call it a mystery. Sunday we're going to talk about the stewardship of the mysteries. It's a deep truth. You've got to hold to it. 
When you get a hold of a deep truth, you've got to cling to it. You've got to hold to it with all your might because Satan works over time to try to separate you from it. Right, buy the truth and don't sell it. Is that Proverbs 23? Buy the truth and don't sell it. It's a deep truth. Say, well, how do I get a hold of some deep truth? Because I'm tired of living surface truth. I'm tired of living shallow truth. Matter of fact, when I get into the shallow waters, I've actually come out of the truth because I only access the truth in the depths. On the surface, all I see is the visible realm. So when I, when I come into the visible realm, all I see is that I'm in a wine press threshing, re- threshing wheat. And the angel of the Lord says, greetings, mighty warrior. You say, mighty warrior, all I see is a little punk. Seriously, Gideon was just a little punk in the natural. Why was he threshing his wheat in a wine press? Because he's scared. He's scared. He's hiding from the Amalekites or the Midianites, whoever it was, one of the mites. Jebusites, the cellulites, the show you rights. He says, no, 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 God says you're a mighty warrior. I don't see a mighty warrior. Yeah, it's a deep truth. God says you're more than a conqueror. I don't see more than a conqueror. Yeah, it's a deep truth. God says you're forgiven of all your sins. Yeah, I, but I don't feel like I'm done with them yet. Yeah, it's a deep truth. God says you're completely free. But I can name ten bondages that I'm still in. Yeah, it's a deep truth. God says by his stripes you are healed. Yeah, but I still got 15 sicknesses. Yeah, it's a deep truth. Matter of fact, according to Romans 8, 29, it says... Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. You know what that verse means? In God's eyes, you're already a finished product. And he finished you before the foundation of the world. Before you were born. In God's eyes, he perfected forever. Hebrews 10 says he perfected forever all those who are being sanctified. You've already been perfected. I don't look perfect to me. Yeah, it's a deep truth. And for some, it's deep, deep truth. (laughs) No, that's a deep truth. Deep, deep, deep truth. It's a deep truth. So, well, how do I get to it? How do I get to deep truth? Look at John chapter 13. Did I get that wrong? Or is it 14? It's somewhere in the Bible. Sorry. 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. The word in the Greek for counselor is parakletos. Another counselor. In the KJV, it says comforter. In the, the, the new New International Version, it says advocate. Parakletos. Para means alongside. Kletos from, comes from kaleo, which means to call. Another who, call, who calls from alongside. One who calls alongside. Literally, come here, Bex. Let me show you what a parakletos is. A parakletos comes and puts his arm around you and walks and speaks. He's moving you in a particular direction and speaking to you the whole way. Turn this way. He determines the direction, not you. 
And if you're going in the wrong direction, he says, no, 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 come, come, come over here, come over here, come over here. And he moves you. This is what a parakletos does. A parakletos comes alongside and says, you're going somewhere, but you're not going by your own power. I'm taking you there. And you don't have to know the way because I'm leading you. So where are we going? You don't need to know where we're going. All you need to know is that you have a parakletos. Say, I don't know how to get there. You don't, know how to, you don't have to know how to get there. All you have to know is that you've got a pot of clay toss, and I'm not going to leave you till I get you to the place where I'm taking you. And here's your seat right there. There it is. That's what a pot of clay toss does. Jesus says, I'm going to send you a pot of clay toss. Another one. And why does he say another? Because he's getting ready to go away. He says, I'm going away, but I'm sending you another. That's what Jesus has been doing with his disciples all this time. He says, don't worry. I know you're scared that I'm going, and he already told them that he's going. But he said, don't worry. He said it in the beginning of John 14 there. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, man, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. But there's going to be this interim period between my going and my coming. But in that interim period, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending you another one. Another counselor, another parakletos, and the word another means another of the same kind. He's going to have the same authority I have. He's going to have the same power I have. And he says, let me tell you who he is. He's the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. That's what he called him, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth who comes from the Father. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another parakletos to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, literally the spirit who takes you into the truth, the spirit who moves you out of your reality and into the truth, the spirit who says, I can see the things in your life that you think are so real, but I'm going to take you beyond those things to a higher level of reality, and I call it the truth. Turn to the next chapter in John chapter 15. He says in John chapter 15, I should have marked it. (laughs) I did mark it, but there's so many marks in this passage. There it is, verse 26. Look, verse 26, John 15, 26. You get so many marks in your Bible that you confuse yourself. It's not a good thing. John 15, 26, when the parakletos comes, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then again, John sixteen twelve, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Verse 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. I have many more things to say to you, Jesus says, but you can't bear them now. But you don't have to worry because I'm going to make sure that you get every word that you need. I know there's still some levels of reality in your life that are absent of truth, but I don't want you to worry about that because I'm sending my spirit. And my spirit is going to take you and guide you into the truth. My spirit is going to see you moving into the way of error, and he's going to say, no, 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 come with me. Come on, come on. we're going into the truth. Where are we going? To the truth. But, but I'm living in the real world, but I'm going to take you to the true world. But I'm stuck in my reality. Yes, but I come with the power to break you free from that reality and to take you into the truth. 
He will guide you into all truth. The thing you've got to begin to believe is that no matter what level of reality you live at, no matter what seems like it's going wrong in your life or what's falling apart in your life, you've got to begin to believe that you have received the spirit of truth and he's coming to guide you into the truth. You say that I've got error in my life. It's okay. You've got the spirit of truth in your life. He's taking you out of that place of error. The spirit of truth won't let me stay in the place of error. He won't let me go wrong. He won't let... He comes to guide me into the truth and he's not going to let me walk into the lie. He won't let me stay there. He's taking me out. The spirit of truth. He comes to show me what's true. And he comes to lift me up above that which is not true. He comes to set me free from the lie. And what the spirit of truth enables me to do is to take my reality and bring it into the truth. You know what faith is? Faith bridges the gap between reality and truth. It is the power to take this reality and move it over here into the truth. And when you take your reality and move it into the truth, your reality begins to conform to the truth. So that just as factually as you could say, I was sick, so factually you could say, by his wounds I am healed. Look at the prognosis from the doctor. By his wounds I am healed. Look at this x-ray. In other words, when the Spirit empowers you to move your reality into the truth, then your reality fully conforms itself to the truth. And you find that the truth had authority over your reality. It's called faith. It's called faith. Faith happens when you make a decision, I'm not accepting this reality, I'll only accept the truth. Now here's what keeps us out of the stream of faith. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the revealed things, are, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. We tend to mix the secret things with the revealed things. And we get those categories mixed up. That's what gets us in trouble. There are secret things and there are revealed things. The secret things are the things that God says, I'm just not revealing that. Now, when God says, I'm not revealing that, but we're spending years trying to unravel that question because we just want to understand it, we're in the flesh. Because you cannot understand by the Spirit that which God has determined not to reveal. So if you're still struggling to understand it, you're in the flesh. And people get in trouble because they're trying to unravel things that God has purposely raveled up and said, don't worry about that. That's a, that's a secret thing. And what we tend to do is we take our trumped up understanding of this secret thing and transfer it to, and we change the revealed thing with it. I'll give you an example. By his wounds we are healed, right? How many of you have ever prayed in faith for someone who did not get healed? If your hand is not raised, it means you never prayed for nobody before. <laughs> or if you did pray for somebody, no, you ain't never prayed for nobody. Because there's nobody that's one for one. <laughs> I went to a hospital one time about six, seven years ago. 
I got a call, and this woman was in the last stages of cancer. She was in the hospital. She was in ICU, critical condition. And uh, she, the doctor said she had hours to live. And her whole face was, I mean, her whole body was bloated, and she was so swollen, and she was completely out. She had tubes coming out of everywhere, and she was just in bad shape. She was elderly. Her family was there. And when I was praying that day, I felt such an anointing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I felt the power of God come. And I felt it come so strong that I felt like I didn't care what I saw. I knew what the response was going to be. And so I took a young man with me, young guy that I was discipling. I said, you want to see a miracle? He said, yeah. I said, let's go to the hospital right now. Watch. So we go there. And we go into ICU, and I walked in, and when I walked in the room, the power of God began to fall in that room. And I just lifted up my hands and began to sing a worship song, and the glory of the Lord settled in over that room so strong that the niece and the aunt got on their faces and laid prostrate on the floor in the hospital room before the Lord. The glory of God was just sitting in that room, and I went and I laid hands on that woman, I said, I command you to live and not die. I rebuke this sickness. I command it to reverse in the name of Jesus, and I declare that you are well. I command you to live. And as I was praying, the presence of God was just getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and my faith was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I finished praying, and I said, okay, she will live. And they were so encouraged. They were weeping. They were like, thank you for coming. This is so powerful. The power of God is here. The glory of God. They were just shaking in the glory of God. So me and the young man left. And we got in the car. He went, oh, my God. He said, I thought she was going to get up right there. He said, no, the presence of God was so strong, I thought she was going to get up right there. I get a call two hours later. And I'm waiting for the testimony. And the niece says, my aunt just passed away. She just went home to be with the Lord. Was it a faith problem? Heck no. I fully believe. I mean, there was not an iota. There was not one cell in my body that didn't believe. There was not one place of unbelief or doubt in my mind or heart. So help me, God, I believed for that miracle. It wasn't a presence of God problem. The glory of God was so strong that her family members laid on their faces. I mean, when you go into a hospital room and people get down on their faces on the floor, you know the power of God is there. So what was it? Why didn't she get healed? Here's the answer I came up with after about six or seven years of theologizing. I don't know. It's a secret thing. It belongs to the Lord. It's not for me to explain it and come up with a reason and tell you what in the inscrutable mind of God he decided to do. But I don't take it and try to change the secret, the, the, the revealed thing. The revealed thing is by his wounds we are healed. That's all I'm allowed to believe. Now what we try to do is take those situations and say, well, wait a minute, by his wounds we are healed sometimes, but not all the time. Does God heal everybody? Is it right to believe that God's going to heal everybody? I don't know. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's just people's time to go. And then we construct this whole theology and we begin to teach it to people as a revealed thing. Where the scripture doesn't say anything about that. James said it. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. 
Jesus said it. He who believes in me, the works that I do will he do also, and greater works than these will he do. All I'm allowed to believe is what is revealed. I'm not allowed to start making stuff up. I'm not allowed to start spinning stuff out of my experience. I'm not allowed to start changing the scriptures around because of the last five experiences that I had. I'm only allowed to believe the revealed things, but when it doesn't seem to work, I call it a secret thing and I let it belong to the Lord. And I walk out saying, where's the next sick person? They're going to get healed. (laughs) I got a call to visit a young man who had tried to commit suicide. He had gone into his medicine cabinet and he took out eight bottles of pills. You know, a bottle of Advil, Tylenol, blood pressure pill. I don't know. He eight bottles of pills. He just went into his medicine cabinet, grabbed a whole bunch of them, popped them all open, grabbed some water, and chucked all of those pills. I mean, eight bottles of pills. He just downed them, all of them. Passed out on his bed into a coma. They found him eight hours later, brain dead. I'm talking just a pulse, and his, his lungs were moving. There was no brain activity. His aunt came and grabbed me at church and said, please come pray for my nephew. I went to the hospital, walked in, and I asked, I asked the nurses, what's the prognosis? They said, there's no hope. He's brain dead. He's a vegetable. Even if he comes out of this, he's so brain damaged, he won't, he won't have the mentality of a five-year-old. He was in the coma for too long. They, we didn't find him in time. Not to mention he'll have severe liver damage, kidney damage, heart damage, all of this stuff. I said, okay. I had no faith. I had a little bit of faith. I won't say I had no faith. I had a little bit of faith. I had a little bit. I said, okay. The only thing that came to my heart was, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> but it's in the hands of God. <laughs> so I worshipped. I love, the first thing I do when I go into a hospital room is worship. Because he inhabits the praises of his people. And so I, I want to come in and bring the presence of God. And so I began to worship. And then I went over and I laid my hands on him. And I began to command him to live in Jesus' name. And I called him back. I said, you will live and not die. I command you to come back. I command you to come back. And I speak healing over your body. And the next day, I went back to visit him. Because I'm going to pray it for him again. And I went up to the ICU. And they were cleaning his bed. Now, me being the great man of faith and power I am, just assumed that he had died. (laughs) So I said, oh, uh, where's John? And they said, oh, he's in room 336. And I went, oh. Because I thought, when you're in room 336, you are right. (laughs) So I went down to room 336, and he was sitting there reading the paper. So I walked up to him. I said, hey, John, how you doing? And he looked at me. He said, doing fine. He had this look on his face like, who are you? I said, do you know who I am? He said, nope. I said, well, your aunt asked me to come visit you, and I just wanted to come pray for you, see how you're doing. He said, well, I'm doing fine. I said, did they say there's any brain damage? He said, no, my brain's fine. Well, how about a heart, kidney, liver? No, 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 my heart, kidneys, liver, everything's fine. Matter of fact, they're going to release me tomorrow morning. He was completely well. Now, why did it work that time and not the last time? It's a secret thing. But you know what's revealed? By his wounds, we are healed. That's what's revealed. By his wounds, we are healed. You say, well, he can do it, but I can't. That's not revealed. 
But I don't have an anointing for healing. That's not a revealed thing. You know what's revealed? By his wounds, we are healed. That's a revealed thing. But we can't take the secret things and use them to redefine the revealed things. Instead, we have to make a decision that we're going to cling to the revealed things. We're going to believe the revealed things. We're not going to allow Satan to separate us from the deep truths of the faith. And we have to cultivate an awareness of the truth. This Sunday, we're going to take this a step further. We're still on this vein. We're going to talk about the stewardship of the mysteries. Because what God is looking for in these last days are stewards. He's looking to drop crazy revelation on whoever will receive it. He says to Jeremiah, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you didn't know. God it wants to speak to you. He wants to wake you up in the night hour and speak to you. He wants to give you revelation that will blow your mind. He wants to blow your cap back and he wants to fill you. He wants to fill you up. He wants to speak to you and speak things that will cause your ears to tremble. He wants to speak things to you that will change your life. He wants you to come out of your prayer closet and say, listen to what the Lord said to me, but he ain't going to give you nothing until he knows you're going to steward it. Because everything that he gives you, he expects you to steward it. He expects you to multiply it. And he expects you to give it. And if he can't trust you to do that, he ain't giving you nothing. Why? Because then he'll have to judge you for it later. And here's how you know how good of a steward you are. When was the last time God gave you a word that encouraged you, but you were only encouraged for about a week? If you can't steward simple encouragement, how can you steward the mysteries of the kingdom? I'm talking about mysteries that have been hidden from ages and generations that God is now revealing to his saints. Mysteries that can change nations. Mysteries that can, can break the back of poverty over whole regions. I'm talking about mysteries that can set captives free and lift up a whole generation of sons and daughters of God. You've got to learn how to steward the simple mysteries of the kingdom. Simple. And that's why the scripture says that if you are faithful with little, he'll make you master of much. Just be faithful with forgiveness. Be faithful to steward that mystery that he's forgiven you of your sin. Be faithful to steward that mystery that he set you free. Be faithful to steward that mystery that he's, he's indwelling you by his spirit. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I can't get over that one. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't care how dry you feel. I don't care how spiritually dry you feel. Your physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are full of God tonight. You are full of the Spirit and power of God tonight. Say, God, more of you. More than all? More, you want me to give you more than all? You're already filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You want more than that? You haven't eaten what I've given you. You haven't stewarded what I've given you, and you want more. Our plates are still full, and we're going, God, more. More, Lord. And God's going, look, look at your plate. Chuck full, full of revelation. The bride of Christ has already been adorned with the sun. She's already standing with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head and we're crying out for more authority. He's clothed us with the authority of the day and the authority of the night. And we're saying more. I say to you that God has already deposited riches in you. See, we have this treasure. 
in vessels of clay. We got this treasure and God's hidden it in a place that you would never expect God to put a treasure. But he's put this treasure there. There's a treasure on the inside of you so that you should never say I'm poor. You should never say I'm impoverished, I'm empty. You have a treasure. Are you with me tonight? I want to keep talking to you because I want to I just want it to break through. I just want it to break through. I just want I just want it to rise up on the inside of you and I want you to get a hold of it and begin to possess it. But I don't have to beat you up with it because we're going to take it to another level Sunday morning. But here's what I want you to do is I want you to get a double portion of it. And this is how I want you to get it. If you can, come to both services Sunday. If you can't come to both services Sunday, get the MP3 of this. And by the way, our podcast is up and running again. You can subscribe to it on your smartphone and the sermons will download onto your smartphone. And you can, you can listen to it on the go while you're driving, while you're running or jogging. And go to the Living Hope Facebook page and to my personal fan page. There's a steady flow of encouragement, insight, as well as information about the church and revelation that's just being dropped constantly on both of those pages. And also on those pages you can get links to the podcast. But this is a teaching that you cannot miss. You can't let this one fall to the ground. And you decide whether this teaching falls to the ground or not. If you catch it and you possess it, it'll change your life. And it will prepare you for this next season. Because you've got to get ready. 2012, everything changes. I'm telling you, everything is changing in 2012. And you've got to get ready. We've been, we've been running with the foot soldiers. Now we're going to have to run with the horses. I want to get you ready for 2012. Because God is getting ready to do something that's going to change everything. But we've got to be ready for it. We've got to be ready for it. So we've got to wake up. We can't be asleep anymore. Okay? You with me? Amen. Stand up on your feet. Father, I speak your blessing over this body, over these sons and daughters of yours. The scripture says that the righteous will shine like the stars in the kingdom of their father. And I say, Father, that these sons and daughters of yours are shining like the stars in the kingdom of their father. I break off every lie of the devil from every heart and every mind. I move you into the truth. And I declare that you are stewards of the mysteries of God. And you will steward them well. You will not fail. Because you've received the spirit of truth. He's moving you out of the place of error. And into the truth. I speak blessing and encouragement in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.